carry on my message church series. This was something the Lord put on my heart instead. And I know that this is for at least one person in the room, maybe more, maybe a lot of people. But the Lord wants to touch some people today with his word and by his spirit. I'm going to talk about standing out. And the subtext to that is the cry that God hears. Let me read from Mark's gospel, a story of blind Bartimaeus, and then we'll get into the message. Blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. Mark 10, verses 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout. Just picture the scene. It's messy. He began to shout. Son of David, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, church, the first observation I'd like to make from our reading is that this was Jericho. The Bible record tells us that Jericho was a place where everything collapsed. We remember the Old Testament story. The security and well-being of all the people was destroyed with scant left in the hands of the citizens of Jericho. Strangely, Rahab was left in the walls of all people, a prostitute. But Jericho was symbolic of destruction, death, chaos, of dreams falling, of security fading, and of people no longer being there. It's interesting that Jericho was the site of this encounter. Jericho actually means sweet fragrance. And just to say this in passing, quite often in our worst life experiences, God wants to bring a sweet fragrance out. Like with Rahab, who became part of the lineage of Jesus. Like with Ruth and Orpah, there was destiny amidst the destruction. There was a breakthrough amidst the pain of life experience. And you know, church, there'll be people in this room today as I'm speaking, you know what state you're in. See, the beggar knew what state he was in. The people knew what state he was in. He was at rock bottom. I went to see Mick Parker just to say hello to him in his cafe restaurant, butcher's Megaplex, go and visit it, it's amazing. Particularly like the artwork. I love the fact that Jesus is near Maradona and <laughs> come on, this is a brilliant place. There you go, mate, you can pay me later. <laughs> and there was a man by the bar. And I just have compassion on people that are broken. It just gets me to the core. And I had to sit with him. And this man explained 
three times, use the phrase three times, I'm at rock bottom. I'm at rock bottom. Kept repeating this phrase, but surely there's something we can do, friend. I was trying to engage with him. What can I do to help you? How can I help you? What can I, it matters to me. Nobody cares about it. I said, I care about you. I want to help you. What, what can I do? And he told his story. And by the time he finished his story, I knew why he was at rock bottom. It wasn't an easy solution. The guy was at rock bottom. And people who are at rock bottom know they're at rock bottom. Bartimaeus knew he was at rock bottom. No one needed to tell him that. He was wearing the clothes of someone who was at rock bottom. A cloak was the wearing of a, of a beggar. People knew what a cloak was. I'll get into that in a minute. But being blind in Jesus' time was indicative in the people's mind of being under a curse. No wonder the people told him to shut up. He was the dregs of society. He was the beggar in the corner. He was the one that people tokenistically threw the coins onto his cloak that he'd put on his lap to collect it. It was a tool of the trade. His cloak defined him. His cloak empowered his condition. His cloak kept him shackled. People knew he was at rock bottom. There was no way for a beggar like him to support himself financially in that world he had to beg. He was dismissed by the majority of people. Nobody expected Jesus to turn on his heels. Usually, according to Julia Charleston that I read, a beggar's one and only possession and their only source of income was their cloak. Bartimaeus was dressed for the part. He knew he was at rock bottom. He was a beggar who was socially outcast and considered as refuse by the people, a man under a curse. It doesn't take long, listen to this please, because this how it relates to your life. It doesn't take long <clears throat> for people in negative circumstances to start to believe that they are what their circumstances say they are. People in negative circumstances <clears throat> often allow their circumstances, the context they live in, the state of their health, the people that are around them, the financial position to define who they are. Because that's our world. People judge you. What do you do for a living is one of the first questions. Where do you live? How many kids do you got? And they start interrogating to find the person and then they put them conceptually in a place in their head as to where they are in the pecking order. Jesus loved to break that with the story of the rich man and Lazarus. He spoke about the fact that the rich guy was the one in the worst state. The dog licked the sores on the beggar's legs, and yet Lazarus was the one who ended up in heaven. There is a shift needed in the thinking of God's people that moves away from what we see with our eyes to what God sees. That's why the Bible says God looks on the heart. Man looks at outward appearance. Man makes a judgment call about people. But God says, I see beyond the flimflam. I see beyond the words. I see beyond the clothes. I see beyond people's opinion of others. I know what that person is really like. And isn't it God's opinion that matters? See, the problem with people in a negative situation, they begin to play the role that everyone attributes to them. 
They start to express the beggarly state that other people assume are theirs. That's typical of an abuse situation, that we start to be the person that everyone thinks we are. These are the shackles that keep people in the place. These are the shackles that bring people into social conventions that create control. These are the origins of the fear of man and the mindsets of earth, which keep people captive to their circumstances. This is the breeding ground for earthly mindsets. Listen to this. These are the breeding ground for earthly mindsets that stand in opposition to heavenly thinking. God thinks differently than you and I see or believe. God sees it differently to the way we see it. God's eyes, the Bible says he, he looks to and fro across the earth to see whose hearts are faithful for him. He sees. He sees. One of his names in the Old Testament is the God that sees you. That's why everyone will give an account to God on the last day. For the things said in secret, they'll be trumpeted. Because God is holy. God is good. God is love. And God will justify the righteous and condemn the unrighteous. And it will be a good judgment because he's pure. God does not want our mindsets to hinder the flow of heaven into the now. And I, I feel like the Lord would say to you and me today, let faith arise in this room and for us to start to believe again. When I was challenging earlier in the service about God pours water on them that are thirsty, I wasn't beating up the sheep. I was just telling you the truth. The problem is you can preach the truth to the sheep of God and the people think you're beating them up. And you're just telling them the truth. That's why the prophetic voice was always rejected amongst God's people in the scriptures. Because God wants people to hear what man don't want to hear. Because man don't want to hear it because it causes them to require to change, to adapt to the divine, to be different. And we're comfortable. We don't want to change. We don't want to admit that we're not quite there yet. We don't want to admit we're not thirsty for his presence. Because that would involve a shift and we're just comfortable being. Let faith arise today. Let us start to believe again. For with the Lord, here we go, anything is possible. Jesus said, if you can believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to those who believe. In other words, there will be those who don't. Jericho is significant because it's a place of divine turnarounds. Like with Rahab, like with Ruth in another text, the Bible teaches us that destiny can be found in the place of destruction and damage. We think it's over, and we're just crossing over. We think it's over, and we're just crossing over into something new. That's been the story of COVID. That's been the chaos that's ensued on the back of it. We thought it was over. We thought that was broken. That was irreparable. But God said, you're just crossing over. I'm just shifting you into something new. I'm just redefining your existence. I'm redefining how you relate to me. I'm redefining what church looks like. I'm redefining how you relate to one another. I'm teaching what it is to walk in humility. I'm teaching what it is to walk under authority. I don't know who God sent this word for today, but he definitely gave me this word for someone in this room. He interrupted my teaching series to tell someone that divine turnarounds are possible.
Let that go in, please. Divine turnarounds are possible. Great change is possible. Humans and devils who don't have the mind of God would say, like the crowd, be quiet, Bartimaeus. Be quiet, person X in this room. Be quiet. Stay in your cloak. Stay in the cloak of your negative circumstances. Live in your Jericho and assume that that's your place forever. Irreparable. No return. Broken. Collapsed. But Jesus comes to you today and says, as he did to Bartimaeus, what can I do for you today? At Family Church in Billings, what can I do for you today? Now, anyone who's ministered in the power of the Spirit in this room knows that there are people who come to the front to be prayed for. They're like a butter. I've got butter. Do you have a butter dish? I've got a butter dish. I love butter. I don't like margarine. I like butter. And this time of year, I love it because it's really easy to spread in the butter dish. There are some people who come to be prayed for. They're just like that butter in the butter dish. There are others. You cut, they come and you know as soon as they come up, they're not expecting a miracle. It's like praying for a brick. And they're not bad people. They're good people. Because they're so conditioned to believe that their circumstances will always be so, they've abandoned faith, but they step up in hope. I, I don't mean to beat anyone. This is my experience, and it's concurrent with the Word of God. Humans and devils would tell us to stay in our situation, to be quiet, to stay in the cloak of our negative circumstances. But Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? How are you going to respond to this, church? This challenge? For many of us, we're so used to our beggarly state that we don't cry out. And we put up with the status quo. God's heart, listen, is pulled towards those who are broken. I was once in Chester at the end of a mission week. And I was just desperate to get the kids home. We just had a meal, a celebration meal with the kids and the rest of the mission team. And I just knew it was late. And I need to get the kids to bed. School tomorrow. And then the pull of God's heart was in my son. He was about six at the time. He said, Daddy, we've got to go back to that woman. I said, no, Lewis, we've got school tomorrow. I need to get you home to the car. He said, no, we, God is saying we've got to go back. Now, I've learned with my son that he is God. So I turned on my heels reluctantly. It wasn't my spirituality that went back to this woman. It was the pull of God's heart in my son. Now, I saw the photos of this woman I'm about to show you before we met her, only after the event. She was demonized. She was living as a beggar in the streets. And the people on the other parts of the team, when they saw the impact of Jesus on her after we'd prayed, couldn't believe it was the same woman. I'll get the photos for people who are interested one day from America. I've got the aftershot only, but I have seen on someone else's phone the before shot. And she was broken. She was angry. There was a difference in her face. We went back to her. The Lord gave us a word of knowledge. She began to cry. We shared the gospel. She, she had a demon cast out of her on the streets. And she gave her life to Christ. Look at the impact of this woman's smile. And we lay with her in the dirt of Chester and held her. I wonder how many times that woman's been held by people who just love her without any conditions. Because what is my point? My point is the heart of God is pulled towards those who are in need. The heart of God is turned towards the broken. And it was in my son that day. And because of that, that woman got free. She was delivered of a demon. She gave her life to Christ. She glowed. I've got a video of her testifying she can't contain herself. But God's heart is turned towards every chaotic life in this room, every broken situation, 
every hurt, every sickness. And while I can't put everything in a neat theological box for you, God cares. A pastor once asked the Lord, what will cause your presence to come to my church? What will cause you to show up? The Lord replied, bring me the hurting. Bring me the messed up. Bring me the dysfunctional. Fill the room with needs and I will manifest. If you fill my house with problems, I'll fill my house with presence. I'm attracted to the cry of a person's heart. I do not play religious games. I'm not attracted to the gifted. I'm not attracted. I'm attracted to the needy. Now, we'd all say a hearty amen to that word. For many of us, this is no surprise. We know Jesus is attracted to the needy, and we love him for that. This is a hearty amen from the whole congregation at Family Church. Amen, Jesus, you are wonderful. But what would be a surprise, though, is that you and I are needy too. There isn't a person in this room that doesn't need the Lord in some ways, but we keep it all tidy. We sit on our hands. We don't want God to work this way. We don't want God to work through this person. And so we make do because we're too proud or too conditioned by our circumstances or our theology to cry out to God. The reality reality is that many of us don't have our needs met because we won't admit that we're needy. We want the Lord, but we don't need him like Bartimaeus needed him. Did you hear that? Don't miss it. We want the Lord, but we don't need him like Bartimaeus needed him. Imagine if you needed Jesus like that blind beggar for your issue. I'm sure there's people in this room who've seen characters who don't know how to play church bounce up to the front and get in the face of the preacher and they don't know they're supposed to wait till the end to do the nice charismatic thing and they're there at the front ready and you've just started the introduction. I actually like church like that, I'm sorry. I like real. I I, I was at Jonathan's I was at Westall and a few months back, and this woman, she was a drug addict, but she just kept shouting at me all the way through the preach. <laughs> I was loving it. We and her had a conversation. The recording was awful. <laughs> people need the Lord. And people who don't know church conventions don't know that it's rude to interrupt. That man, hey, hey, you can't do that. You're a beggar, you're cursed, you're staying. Cl- no, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up. Be quiet. Son of David. We cannot get into the headspace of someone who can't see. Unless you've been blind before. You cannot get into the headspace of someone whose auditory capacity has been enhanced by their blindness. Who has been pushed into a corner for years but can hear everything that goes on. And he knew who it was that was going past. He didn't like the Pharisees say, this is Beelzebub. By Beelzebub, he casts out demons. The religious elite didn't know who this was, but this man knew this is the son of David. This is the Messiah that Matthew spoke about and that's written of in Daniel's writings. This is the one. And it's because he knew who Jesus was, he knew something was going to happen. The problem is, we in this church are richer than anyone has ever been in the Bible record with our knowledge of who Jesus is. And yet we do not see the fruit because we don't put a demand on our Lord who is limitless.
We don't need him like Bartimaeus needed him. We, we can get by, Lord. We, we, we can manage. We're self-sufficient, middle-class professionals. We're fine, God. You know, I can put up with this. I, I want to put something as a pastoral safeguard in, in, this, in this message now. Unless you hear the Lord telling you to stop praying for something, pray on. In terms of the miraculous, I'm like a dog with a bone. And he, because God is who he says he is, he's God of healings. And there are times when he's told me, I'm not going to heal them. He's told me, stop praying. But it's very rare. In most cases, the Lord smiles on faith. Without faith, the Bible says, it's impossible to please God. The converse must be true. With faith, you please God. And you know, some of the people that carry faith are some of the weirdest people on planet Earth. But God loves them. The Marmite people that people reject, they don't fit into a nice box that disrupt and ruffle everyone's feathers. The Lord says, I like his faith. I like her faith. This was a man with great faith. You can watch the video of a man called Brother Shambok recounting the time when he used to work in the 1950s with evangelist A.A. A. Allen. The greatest miracle Brother Shambok had ever seen came at the hands of his leader, evangelist, A.A. A. Allen, in a tent meeting in 1959 in Birmingham, Alabama. A woman brought her child who had 26 major diseases to our meeting, said Shambok. I'll never forget this as long as I live. You can look at the pictures again, listen to this I'm reading. This boy was born blind, deaf, and mute. Both arms were crippled and deformed. His elbows protruded up into his little tummy. His knees touched his elbows. Both legs were crippled and deformed. He had club feet. When he was born, his doctor said the boy would never live to see his first birthday, but they were wrong. He was approaching four years of age. Of course, his condition was breaking his mama's heart. She came to our meetings all week. And, got and I got concerned about the boy, said Shambok. In those crusades, we had each person's needs written on a prayer card. And as the Holy Spirit moved, we'd pray for the needs God inspired us to pray for. And the Holy Spirit didn't seem to be moving us to pray for that little boy. The following Sunday, his mother came to me and said, Brother Shambok, I'm down to my last $20. She'd spent all her money. Sounds biblical, doesn't it? To get there, to pay for doctor's bills. She didn't have enough to get back. She didn't know what she was going to feed the kid. She had $20 left. 15 was for the doctor, five for the gas to get back. So don't get offended by what you're about to hear about what Evangelist Allen did. It's the sort of thing that Jesus did to the rich young ruler. Tell him to sell everything he had and give his money to the poor. Sometimes God will inspire this. We don't make a doctrine on it. The Lord puts his people under test to see what they're made of. The following Sunday, his mother came to me and said, Brother Shambok, I'm down to my last $20. I've paid the hotel bill, but we've been eating in the restaurant, coming to three services a day and giving in every offering. All the money has run out. My baby has not been prayed for. She was very upset. And she was ready to give up and go home. 
I said, Mom, I can't apologize for the moving of the Holy Ghost. I know you have to leave tonight, but if you come to the service and again, once again, the Holy Spirit leads in another direction and your son's prayer card is not drawn for prayer, I will personally take you and your baby to the man of God in his trailer and see that he lays hands on your baby. You'll not leave disappointed. I meant that from my heart. That night I came out and I led the singing that evening. Then I introduced Brother A.A. Allen and he came bouncing out onto the platform and said, tonight we're going to receive an offering of faith. I'd never heard him use that expression before and I saw eyebrows lift all over the congregation. He went on, now, if you don't know what I mean when I say an offering of faith, I mean for you to give God something you cannot afford to give. That's a good definition, isn't it? If you can afford it, there's no faith connected to it. So give him something that you can't afford to give, said Brother Allen. As soon as Brother Allen said that, I saw that boy's mother leaping out of the aisle and come running. Three... <sighs> 3,000 people were watching her in that Birmingham Fairgrounds arena. And she threw something into that offering bucket. I never saw anybody in such a hurry to give. And I confess, I was nosy. I came down off that pl platform to see what she'd given. You know what I saw in the bucket? A $20 bill. I knew that that was all she had. She had told me that. She'd driven from Knoxville, Tennessee. I, tried, you know, I was determined not to cry with this story. It's so beautiful. She told me that she'd driven from Knoxville, Tennessee to the meeting in Birmingham, Alabama. She didn't know she was going to get home or what she was going to use to feed herself and her baby on the way. I went behind the platform and wept. I prayed, Lord, I've been trying to teach that woman faith all week, but now I'm asking you to give me faith like she's got. Brother Allen went on and collected the offering and launched into his sermon. But about 15 minutes into his message, he stopped and said, I'm being carried away in the spirit. I said to myself, here we go again on another trip. This is how God used him. He said that he could see what the Holy Spirit wanted to communicate to him like he was watching a television screen. He would describe it as he saw it. And that night he said, I'm being carried away to a huge white building. Oh, it's a hospital. Of course, I heard this kind of thing every night that I worked with Brother Allen. So I was sitting there unmoved. Then he said, I'm inside the hospital and there's no doubt in my mind where I'm heading because I hear all these babies crying, it's a maternity ward. I see five doctors around a table. A little boy has been born. The baby was born with 12, no, 16, no, 26 diseases. When he said that, I started getting chill bumps up and down my spine. I said, oh my God, tonight's the baby's night. Brother Alan continued, 26 diseases. The doctor said he'd never live to see his first birthday, but that's not so. The boy is approaching four. Now I see the mother picking a suitcase. They're going on a trip, and there's ladies with her. The baby's in a bassinet. It's the backseat of an old Ford. They're driving down the highway. I see the Alabama-Tennessee border. That automobile is, automobile is driving in the parking lot. Lady, you're here tonight. Bring me that baby. God's going to give you 26 miracles. That woman came running again for the second time that night. She put the baby in Brother Alan's arms. I jumped up to stand beside him, and everybody in the audience jumped up. 3,000 strong were standing. Brother Alan must have wanted to be sure that the audience was agreeing in faith for the miracle because he said, everybody close your eyes. But I thought, not me. 
I'm going to be, I'm not, I'm going to be scriptural on this one. I'm going to watch and pray. <laughs> I've been waiting for this all week. That little boy's tongue had been hanging out of his mouth all week. The first thing I saw is Brother Alan prayed and, and the tongue snapped back into his mouth like a rubber band. For the first time in four years, the little guy's tongue was in his mouth. I saw two little whirlpools in his eyes. I've seen this in scam cataracts and things like that dissolve. It was a milky color. You couldn't tell whether he had blue or brown or what color his eyes were, but during prayer, <clears throat> that whirlpool ceased, and I saw two brand new brown eyes. I knew God had opened his eyes, and if God opened his eyes, I knew he had unstopped the deaf ears. Then those little arms began to snap like pieces of wood, and for the first time, they stretched out. The legs cracked like wood popping, and all of a sudden, I saw God form toes out of those little club feet as easily as child forms something with silly putty. The crowd was watching by this time going wild. I've never seen any people shout and rejoice so much in my life. I saw that baby placed on his feet and he began to run for the first time in his life. He'd never seen his mama before, never said a word, but he began running across the platform and I was running right after him to catch him. He leapt into his mama's arms and I heard him say for the first time, mama, his first words. The following Saturday after his healing, I received a special delivery letter from his mother. She said, Brother Shambuck, I took the baby to the hospital Monday morning and the doctors won't give him back. They kept him all week. They've called in every doctor from all over the country who has had anything to do with the case. They pronounced my baby cured of 26 major diseases. Of course, we went on to get the copies of the affidavits from the doctors certifying that boy's life was a genuine miracle. Her letter continued... You remember that last Sunday when I told you all I had was $20. God knows that was the truth. But when the man of God said to give something you can't afford, I leapt into the aisle. The moment I hit the aisle for the first time in my life, I heard the devil talk. The devil told me, you can't give that. That's not yours. $15 of that goes to the doctor. $5 is for gas to get home. The faster I ran, the faster he talked. But as soon as I let loose the money, he stopped talking. Brother Shambach, all you saw was all you saw was those 26 miracles but there is one you don't know anything about after you were gone people were staying there they wanted to see the baby and they wanted to see what God had done people shook hands with me when one lady shook my hands I felt a folded piece of paper between my palms I opened it up and saw it was a $20 bill as I shook hands with the people who had lined up every one of them had a folded paper in their hand I went into the ladies' room and counted $235. Isn't the Lord good? Ten times what she gave, plus. The reality of that is that many of us don't have our needs met because we don't want to admit that we're needy. We want the Lord, but we don't need the Lord like Bartimaeus or like that woman from Alabama. Can I ask you a question, church? What's your need today? I heard somebody say at the beginning of the service, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Bartimaeus knew what his need was. Every day he sat begging, fully aware of his plight. Bartimaeus knew he needed the Lord, and he defied social conventions like the woman with the issue of blood, like the paralytic that was lowered through the roof, like the lady in Birmingham, Alabama. Bold and persistent faith attracts the attention of God. The Lord smiles on faith. 
But faith in what? Or should I say faith in who? Jesus, all-powerful, eternal Son of God. Knowing this should give us hope. Knowing who Jesus is should raise our faith. Because God wants to bless us. Scripturally, that's true. I remember a story from um, Reinhard Bonnke. He says when he was young in Africa, he needed $50. And God asked him, he wanted to test Bonnke's heart and his faith. God asked Bonnke directly if he wanted a million dollars. Bonnke responded to the Lord, don't give me a million dollars, but give me a million souls. Immediately, the answer came from heaven, you will plunder hell to populate heaven for Calvary's sake. God is looking to test our hearts. He's looking to test our faith. He wants to know what's in the locker. Are you going to put a demand on the Lord today? Maybe there's someone here who does not know Jesus. Today's the day to turn your life over to the son of David, the all-powerful son of God who wants to bless you. Apostolic leader Smith Wigglesworth in the 20th century said this, God will pass over a thousand men to find that one man with faith. And we know Wigglesworth lived out that in his life. He'll pass over a thousand men to find that one man with faith. That's the cry that God hears. That's how we stand out to God. People of faith are noticed by the Lord. <clears throat> they fill the pages of the Bible. They're not a nice, neat, tidy package that we like. They're not somebody that we always want to have dinner with. Sometimes they eat camel. They wear camel's leather and they eat locusts and wild honey. They're strange. But God, God is pleased with faith. I think Bartimaeus knew he was needy. And he exemplified the truth of Psalm 34, 6. It says this, the poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. When Jesus comes to you today and I'm bringing it to a close and asks you this question, what can I do for you today? What will your response be? Our response will reveal the state of our heart, how much faith we have or the lack of it. And it will expose so much in the way we understand God and the way that we <clears throat> relate to the Lord. <clears throat> what can I do for you today? <clears throat> our passage today says it was Bartimaeus' faith that healed him. Bartimaeus' faith. Sometimes we've got to scratch the hole in a roof or reach through the, the crowd in an undignified way, like the woman with an issue of blood. Shouldn't be doing that, love, you're bleeding. It's against social conventions, what are you doing? What are you doing? Crowd, crawling through the crowd to get to, what are you doing? Some people get desperate. They know they're needy, and they don't give a monkey's what anyone else thinks. And the Lord turns on his heels to such people and says, I will bless you. Like the leper that said to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And we try to make that into a prayer formula. Jesus just re revealed who he is. I am willing. I'm God of healings. It's my pastoral conviction, as I said before, that we should continue to pray until God says stop. And so it should never be assumed that the Lord doesn't want to impact that area in your life. If God hasn't said, stop, back down, don't contend for it, I say, pray on. 
If heaven continues to be silent, then our prayers and our faith should put a demand on heaven because we know who our God is. He is good. He is love. He is holy. He is healer. He is provider. You fill in the blank. He's limitless. Let's pray. Now, church, the way I want you to respond to this, I'm not going to do an altar call, nor do I want my message to evaporate. I think there's enough truth in what I've shared for you to scrutinize your own heart and your own response to God. And I will ask you that question again because Jesus would say it to us all. What can I do for you today? For some of us, we we don't even know. For others, it's on the tip of our tongue. It's just right there. It's in in the core of your being and you're longing for God to move in that area. Bring it to the Lord in this moment, in your whispers. And then take it to the Lord day by day in the week ahead. And batter the door of heaven like the persistent widow that Jesus talks about in Luke's gospel, who won't let go until she gets justice. Or the neighbor that wants bread for the person who visits the home, who just because of his boldness, the person gets up and gives him bread, even though he's in bed and with his children asleep. This is how the Lord likes to be pursued, like Jacob, who wrestled with God and said, I'm not going to let you go on this one until you bless me. And then the psalmist echoes that and says, this is the generation who seeks God as Jacob did. God is calling the church to contend for a higher level. Joe was right. However you receive Joe's word, God is calling us out of our comfort zone to step up from a low place to a higher place. Because God's people should be different to this world. They should have something different, an edge. Moses said, what would differentiate us from all the people on the earth unless your presence is with us? For you, it might be presence. I want your presence, Lord. I want to be full of the Holy Ghost. For others, it might be, I need some money, Lord. I'm struggling. For others, it might be a sickness or a miracle you need or a family member that you need to be reconciled to or something. But what can Jesus do for you today? We'll have a moment of silence. I want you to put a demand on heaven in your whispered time now. Say, Jesus, I need you to do this for me. And until the Lord tells you to stop, I want you to make this decision today to keep praying until either God says stop or God breaks through in that situation. Amen. Let's have a few minutes of quiet before the Lord. Can we have a closing song? I feel like the Lord said to me, stand back and watch. 
see the salvation of my people. Sometimes the Lord wants to deal with you directly. Not through a preacher. You and the Lord. Can you testify in the future to any answer to prayers in this moment? It will encourage the church. Let's just close with a song.